This episode of the Ottawa Entrepreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They act as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that grow your business. For a free workshop, email them at workshop at extensionmarketing.com. Now here's your host, Pat Whalen. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with James and Mike, the co-founders of Rewind. This is Mike's fourth business that he has started, and it's James' first. We cover a lot of topics, including how they started the business while still working full-time for another company, and the lessons they've learned along the way. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is James Duschelski, uh, co-founder of Rewind. And my name is Mike Potter. I'm the other co-founder of Rewind. That didn't work out. I mean, I guess there'd be two co-founders. What? We... Anyway, we're happy to be we're here thrilled on the to be podcast. The Ottawa Entrepreneurs Podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Rewind first and then uh, about yourselves, please. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, I can start at least about myself. So my name is James. Um, I joined Rewind with Mike uh, about three years ago. Uh, I come from a software development background, um, doing tech stuff for most of my life, and I really just wanted to get out and try something different, and Mike was the ideal partner to do that with. Nice. Yeah, and my name is Mike Potter, and I'm one of the co-founders at Rewind as well. Uh, Rewind's my fourth company that I've started, sort of second real startup. Um, James and I had met at a company called Accrue that does loyalty programs out in Canada. We worked there for a couple of years and, and I enjoyed working with him. And so after I'd left there, I emailed him and I said, you know, let's let's work on something. Let's let's try an idea. Let's see if we, what we can do. Um, we started we started on one idea that we couldn't figure out how to make work at all. We moved to a second idea that we built into a little product. Um, it didn't get much traction. And then one day I just went up to him and I said, you know, we should really work on on backups for SaaS applications. I'm like, like I think backups are a good business. I'm a big backup guy. I've lost my data before. And so I said, let's work on let's work on a backup app. And he said, you know, what are we going to back up? And <laughs> well, we're in Ottawa, right? And right. so the biggest, you know, fish in the sea here, right, is just down the road from us. I said, well, let's back up Shopify. And he said, well, that's a dumb idea. Like they're a, yeah. in the cloud. <laughs> and why would anybody need to back up cloud data? It's all safe. It's in the cloud. And I said, I really at that point really didn't know why people really wanted it. But I said, you know, they've got an instruction page of how to back up your store. It's like 16 steps, all manual. Nobody's going to do that. Um, we can automate that, and uh, and I think it's a good idea. And he still thought it was a bad idea. So I said, okay, well, you work on this other idea that we're working on. I'll work on this, and we'll see what happens. And within two weeks, we had people signing up before we had even built it, requesting access to it. And um, at that point, he said, okay, we're clearly on to something, and we've sort of gone from there. Wow. Yeah, I remember the mail, the first mail I got from Mike saying, like, look, first install. I was like, okay, well, let's just package this thing up, and we'll toss it aside. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Now, compared to do, what I was doing. And did you guys have a side bet going at all? Or is there is beer for life for one of you? Or? No, I wish, but that's a good <laughs> yeah. idea. We should no. we retroactively go back <laughs> yeah. for the beer for life. Sounds well, like a good idea. Yeah. Right? It's recorded right yeah. now. So, exactly. And you just agreed to it, so yeah. we've got a legally binding contract now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. And, and and what made you think of this idea in the first place? Was this, Did you just feel there was a need in the marketplace? Or? Well, so I've lost data before, yeah. right? Like I'm... Uh, I've I've I'm, I remember doing a presentation one time. I used to work for Adobe. I was a technical evangelist at Adobe. And I was doing a big talk in Chicago. Went to advance my slides, and my computer was frozen, completely frozen. And so I rebooted my computer, and I'm staring, you know, 200 people out there, including my boss, watching me for the first time. And 
I'm staring at my computer. It's got a picture of a hard drive with a big question mark over it <laughs> and That's blank screen behind me, right? And I'm like, uh, sorry, but I can't continue. I'd be like, I have no presentation. I lost my whole hard drive. And so I, I've lost some stuff at home, not, not as much stuff at home, but I'm a big backup guy at home, right? And so I back up my computer locally. I've got two hard drives that are mirrored at home. Those are both mirrored to the cloud. And then I've got a whole separate backup service that runs independently. So I run sort of two backup systems because I really don't want to lose, you know, pictures of my kids, videos, mm -hmm. um, stuff that you just can't replace in, in my mind. And and so I thought, you know, backups are probably a pretty good business. Like, you know, if you're subscribed to it and it's low cost enough, um, you probably won't uninstall it. And my last startup was was about three or four years ago. We were doing like a social media marketing campaign planning thing. Everybody was doing social media marketing. It was a very, very crowded space. And I said, you know, I want to do something really boring. Like just I don't want I don't want to be doing something where there's a lot of competitors that are well funded that are that can come in and sort of take the market and really own it. Like, let's just build a little app that, that's backing up, you know, and, and we were lucky. We we're just fortunate enough to pick Shopify as the first platform. That was just pure luck. But the backup idea, I wouldn't say that that was luck. That was something that we sort of thought would be a really good business idea. It's interesting when you talk about going into a crowded space, <clears throat> well-funded crowded space. You think of Warren Buffett and his investment philosophy and you guys, you know, your business model caters to that. Something that's unique, but something that's simple, something that's clean that they probably will renew like you say, once we're, I, I assume once you're committed to a, a type of backup system that your odds of leaving it are slim, I would think. Yeah, I, I think we, we price our product for Shopify and then we built it for Shopify and then Big Commerce came to us, Shopify's competitor or one of Shopify's competitors and said, you know, our, pro our customers have the same problem. Can you build it for Big Commerce? And so we price those two products based on the number of orders that a store is doing on a monthly basis. And so it does seem like, you know, if your store is doing well and you're making money, that you're happy to continue paying. The only churn we really see is at the lower level when a store isn't doing very well and is looking to cut their costs. Backups tend to be, you know, one of the things that they would cut first. But other than that, it is. It's, it's quite a good business. And this is your, sorry, this is your fourth, not startup, but your fourth? Fourth company. Fourth yeah. company. Yeah, so I started my first company in university. Um, I was, I, internet was just sort of coming on board when I was in university. So my first company was a summer job. I needed a summer job. And I've always said the best way to find a job is to make your own. So one year in university, I just taught people how to use the internet, did a little web page development, scoring a little, you know, just a little summer fun little gig. Mm -hmm. um, that then enabled me to do um, the website for the Canadian Curling Association. So I'm a big curler, or I was a big curler before kids. And uh, so I was the first one to do online scoring at any national championship. Mm -hmm. So the 1997 Olympic curling trials were held in Brandon, Manitoba the year before Nagano Olympics, where, Canada, where curling was the Olympic sport for the first time. Right. And I approached the CCA. My dad was a head official with them. And I said, you know, I'd really love to do the website. We should, we should work on, on making sure that scores can be posted online for the trials. And they said, yeah, it's a good idea. You can go ahead and do that. And so they... They flew me out there, and I was able to to watch all the events. And I was literally hand scoring all the games while they were going on. So I'd try and watch all the sheets and write a little summary about what was going on. And Saturday and Sunday, um, that worked fine. Like there was mm -hmm. no problems. Monday, when everybody went back to work, it was mayhem. Like total, like website was crashing. Oh no! Tons of visitors, and so the CCA really knew at that point that they had something 
Mm-hmm. How about yourself, James? Is this your first go around? This is my first go around. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have much of a history from an entrepreneurship point of view, yeah. but um, almost ten years into my career, I kind of, I was getting fidgety at work, uh, kind of unhappy with with what I was doing, and. Um, the, the gig that we were doing at this company called The Crew uh, is where I had landed. And it was a small company that was really failing to get any kind of traction at the time. And um, I was I was ready to try and see if I could control my own destiny. So, you know, for me, I tried doing something on my own and I found like I recently had kids. And so it was really sort of hard to find that motivation. So I started trying to seek out somebody that I could do this with. And I went through about three or four different people. Um, and each time we kind of sat down, we brainstormed some ideas and we're like, oh, this would be cool. Let's try that. And then a couple of weeks would go by and I would ping them and say, well, have you done anything? And they'd say no. And then I'd be <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't done anything either. And then sort of by chance, when Mike and I reconnected, um, a week went by and I pinged Mike. I'm like, well, have you done anything? He's like, yeah, actually, I did this, this, this and this. And I was like, oh, wow. Suddenly, like guilt started to, to come in and. You know, then I went out and I did some work and there was sort of this like push pull relationship in the early days where um, because we were both still working uh, at our day jobs and whatnot, that motivation of hearing somebody else doing something, contributing, getting something done. It was kind of like instant motivation for me to go out and do something. And that's kind of how how it got started. And um, yeah, it's been a fun ride since. So, so Mike, did you, you know, you've been, you were an entrepreneur at a very young age and as a university student, did you always, did you, even when you were even younger than that, did you know this was kind of your path? Like, it's pretty rare to meet someone that has started a um, successful company at such a young age. I think my dad's always reinforced entrepreneurship. Like, he, he was always encouraging me, you know, to find summer work. He, I remember him telling me, you know, like, if you want to go and, and sell pop, like in in the the parking lot at my office, he's like, I'll buy, like I'll forward you the the money for the cooler, and the pop or whatever. Like I'll help fund it, sort of thing. So there's always that encouragement, right? Um, I was I was fortunate enough to sort of decline his offer and then spend the summers up in Muskoka instead at my grandma's Oof, cottage, nice. uh, <laughs> working on the golf course. So I I think I made the right decision. Um, but you know when university came around and you, like i remember sending resumes out first year university yeah. and literally my wall was wallpapered with rejection letters like this was back in the day when you right. actually mailed things yes. right yeah, and yeah. i i get a rejection letter and i would just post it on my wall and it literally covered the whole wall of my yeah. of my bedroom there and and i just said i'm like i need something to do like you have to have something to do yeah. and so if i can't find a job then i'll just make I'll just make my job. Yeah. And I mean, it was really, you know, it's a very fortunate from a timing perspective, right? Because the internet presented, I think, just a tremendous opportunity for mm-hmm. growth and and potential. And there was all sorts of businesses that wanted to try and get, you know, their first website up and running or just people. Like one of the things I used to do is just teach people in their house, like how to use mm-hmm. it. You know, like like literally, I mean, it seems so simple now, right? You go yeah. to the web browser and, and yeah. you do email. Um, but back then it wasn't so easy to use and right. people literally needed help like, well, how do I send an email? Yeah. I remember, I remember going in university, first year university, telling my friend about the internet and the email after we'd gone there and found it out. And so, as an engineering student, um, going through the R, uh, RMC program at McMaster University, like a smart kid, yeah. And he went in to write an email, and in the two field, he put his dad's physical 
address, like oh. as if it was going to translate into <laughs> like a le- like it seemed silly, right? right? But when you didn't know it, right, 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 it was like no, no, he needs an email address. Oh, okay, well I didn't like I thought I don't know. I guess he thought it would somehow translate into actual physical mail. Yeah. So that was that was my first gig in in university was just teaching people literally how to do it and building a few websites on the side. Well, and you know, and and we're and we're laughing right now, but if you are younger listeners, uh, you know that was not a hundred years ago. You know that wasn't. Yeah. Think of it as basically a generation ago. Yeah, like this was the, this was taking place and it was new for all of us. And and what do we do with this thing? And a lot of people scoffed at. It. I mean, it seems it seems ridiculous now even saying those things. But I remember those days very very clearly. That uh, I remember there was companies that were started that were strictly going to turn your TV into a monitor. And and uh, you know that's that's and that's again not not a long time ago that these things happened. Yeah. 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 Twenty years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so James, uh, you know, Mike's kind of had this going for him for, for a while as a, as a young person. Did you have aspirations when you were younger of being an entrepreneur or is this something that just kind of came about as a result of a dissatisfaction in what you were doing? It really was more of a dissatisfaction. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I can't remember too, too much like as a kid thinking like, you know, I, I need to go and open a lemonade stand or anything like that. This was really just... Um, having kind of lived through the the dot com boom and bust, yeah. um, seeing how quickly something can come and go, and sort of that feeling of powerlessness behind it when you're just a cog in the wheel, um, being able to help build that wheel, I thought would help would help me. Um, mm-hmm. It would help me continue to advance skills that I was already sort of amassing while being part of a general workforce. But it's a whole different experience at this point. Um, you know, what Mike and I have been able to do to try and build this business. It's, it's a whole different scale of learning that, um, yeah, it wasn't something that I thought about too, too much as a kid, but now that I've, I've been able to participate in it and do it, like it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. So, so Mike, did you have any, if you don't mind me asking, you know, you're bringing in a partner or bringing, or you guys are, you know, you've got the experience of being an entrepreneur and James doesn't, was there, was there any, I don't want to say concerns, that may be too strong of a word, but that's pretty unique, right? A lot of the startups that we talk to, or sorry, uh, partnerships that we, that we speak to on this show, it's, they both are entrepreneurs for the very first time and they're doing this as a, as a team. Was that different for you at all? Bringing somebody on board or, or partnering up with someone that may not have had that same level of experience that you had just straight from an entrepreneurship perspective? No, the first, so the first startup, so I did my first startup like three years ago or four years ago and I didn't have anybody there. And mm. it didn't, the ending, like it didn't work out very well at all, that startup. There were just so many things that were, that, were, that I did wrong about it. And so really, to be honest with you, I kind of took the George Costanza approach of like running your startup, right? Which was if the first one you do is so wrong, then do the opposite. Do the opposite <laughs> of course. Right? So the first one was like, it's okay. True. Like it, he, he would say to me, he's like, okay, this is the mistake I made last time. So we're doing it this way. Or I would ask, why are we making this decision? It's like, because right. I did it the other way last time. And it, and it, it was a bad idea, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so last time there was no partner. It was just me. And then I hired hmm. a couple of other parts. So this was like, no, no, I can't do it alone. And I think James alluded to that, that sort of initial, you know, not guilt, but pushing each other yeah. to, to make it work. That was, really, that was really quite helpful, right? Because we're working, you know, nine to five regular sort of jobs come home. I've got three kids at the time. He's got two kids. Like we're coming home. You got family to work with. And then after the kids are in bed, eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock, that's when you started working on it. And you'd go till, you know, 12, one, two in the morning. Right. And then you'd wake up the next morning, you'd go back to work and you'd sort of start the cycle over again. And we did that for 
we did that for a year and a half or almost two years before we ended up moving full time wow. onto Rewind, right? So that was like having that 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 relationship to sort of push each other and be like, mm-hmm. okay, I did this, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, was was really I think what sort of made it successful, right? Like, and and the two of us have skills that complement each other. Like, I've got uh, really good business skills. I've done my MBA at Ottawa U. Um, he's got way better technical and design skills than I've got. And so the two of us, when we were combining, we each, we each knew enough about what the other person was doing to help. But I don't think either one of us could have done this without the other person, right? The two, the two skills sort of matched and helped sort of make it successful. So there wasn't ever a time where it was like, like questioning what was going on. It was, mm. it was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this almost deliberately because the first one didn't work out so well. And it must be nice to have us, uh, you know, when you're, because let's be honest, as entrepreneurs, there's highs and lows, right? Yeah. And I think one of the most important lessons we can, or I know that I personally can pass along to our listeners is you've got to try to even out those highs and lows, I find. I don't forget, we'll get into that in a little yeah. bit, but to have somebody just to talk to, because when you're, when you own a business by yourself, it's, it's, it's lonely. It can be lonely yeah. at times. Because when you're going through any of those, uh, and, and it, anytime you're in one of those valleys, it's, who do you talk to about it? Yeah. You gotta just soldier on, right? So, uh, have you found that that it's just nice to yeah. have somebody just to you know again celebrate the highs, but also to, to get through the lows as well? Yeah, absolutely. I remember so when I was running my first startup, like I can remember, um, I remember we were I was like in my mom's parking lot and literally like crying on her shoulder. I'm like, and she's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "This was supposed to be fun, and it's not fun. Like it yeah. was lonely. It wasn't working. It was it was depressing." Yeah. And so you do, you have to watch that, right? Because that can like that, that's, that's not good mentally. It's not, not a good space to be in. Um, we've been, I think, quite fortunate that we haven't had too many low moments, to be honest with you. I mean, we've had a couple of, of moments where I think we would, um, you know, we'd, we'd look back and say, okay, well, that was really, really bad. But mm-hmm. for the most part, we've tried to avoid those. We've had, at the same time, we've had really, really high moments. And I don't think we've we tried to celebrate them, but we haven't. I don't think we've made them too big of a deal. Just yeah. like, yeah. To be honest with you, the business has gone so well that almost every high moment is followed by an even better one next month. So nice. that's been that's been kind of you know yeah good for us. Is there any advice you'd give it to our listeners? To you mentioned you know you're trying to protect your downside essentially by controlling those. Is there anything that you've learned over the years in terms of how to look for? It sounds like you guys are both great planners. You spent a year, year and a half, you know, getting this thing off the ground before you jumped in full time. But is there is there a lesson or two you could pass along there about trying to manage those lows or at least see them coming? Uh, I don't know. I can't off the top of my head. I think you have to, like, you have to realize, like, the like, I don't know. I find sometimes when you hear about like entrepreneurs talking about their other businesses, that it's a bit abstracted, and so you don't really know what a high is and what a low is right like like they talk about the good times and the bad times but when you're listening to somebody talk it's kind of like abstracted a bit and you can't really put yourself in like like what did they mean when they say like that was a low moment right or what did they mean when they say there was a high moment and so like tangibly like one of like one of the low moments like at my last company right was when like we were literally running out of money like i needed to i needed to check from mailchimp to come in in order to hit payroll. Like that's a really, really stressful time. If you've got a, you know, I'm going into the bank and saying like, look, if you're holding this money, 
my employees aren't getting paid. Like it's that close, right? Yeah. That's a really stressful time to be going through as an entrepreneur. Um, the highs, you know, from this standpoint, I think has been, you know, mainly customers, revenue, like the customers we've helped. Like those have been like the best stories for us is like, you know, when you recover a store for, for somebody. Hmm. That was an amazing like feeling of elation. The first time we, I, just speaking of highs, like, yeah, the first restore we did, it was like instant validation that what we had done worked and it had an immediate impact on somebody because we restored somebody's store, you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, which you can imagine, you know, the impact that that would have if your Same entire thing. store sure. kind of goes down. Right. Um, and then the other one was when big commerce came along and was like, Hey, we love what you're doing for Shopify. Bring it to us. Um, you know, that was, that was easily number two, I think as well. I mean, we've had a couple of big low moments. Yeah. Um, some, you know, you couldn't see coming for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, to me, this is still every day is almost a new experience yeah. uh, in one way or another. So I don't know if I'm the best one to be giving yeah, too much fair, advice fair, at this fair point. Enough. So, so I, I've been asked this a fair bit. The advice I give people is, you know, give, give it 24 hour rule, feel bad about it to a maximum of 24 hours, but then you got to move on. Cause I find, uh, uh, if I'm coaching entrepreneurs, if they just keep bringing that issue up over and over and over again, they haven't moved past it Yeah. and they're spending so much mental energy and it's tough enough doing what we do, you know, uh, creating companies and, and, and all the, all the things that are a part of that. But if you have too much negative, uh, uh, mental capacity being used and, and just on something over and you're not, okay, what lessons did you learn? Like, let's, let's, you know, break this thing down and then put it over in a box and, and move on. Um, question for you guys. So, you know, you've got a partnership. Um, is there any lessons you would like to pass along to our listeners that are in a partnership of maybe best practices or things you've discovered that, that makes it work for the two of you to, to be such good partners together? I think communication is a huge one. Um, you know, I agree with Mike. I think him and I, we, we share a lot of complementary skills. Um, but at the end of the day, we're constantly talking to each other. We're constantly um, validating, you know, our own thoughts and opinions about the way the business is being run and ensuring that even if we're not in agreement, we each understand what perspective each one is bringing to the table. Um, so for sure, like being able to keep that like constant communication alive is is, is massive. Okay. Do you agree, Mike? I th yeah, for sure. That, I, th I think that's a really, really important one. We've always made it a true partnership, right? Like it was like at the start, it was split 50-50. It wasn't like anyone was saying, okay, I'm doing more work or, or I'm doing more work or anything like that. Like it was always like like even even, right? Um, and so the, I think that was important too, that there wasn't ever a feeling of like, oh, I'm doing more, I'm doing less. Like I said, at the start, there was like this push of like, I have to do a bit because James doing more. The other thing that I think that brought on was really never really blaming somebody. Yeah. Like, like we're, we're kind of open to admit like when we've made mistakes, right? And we don't ever blame somebody for, for not doing something. We just look at it and say like, okay, well, they were doing the best they could at that time. Um, you know, how do we get past the problem? Like, how do we just resolve the problem? Like who, who cares what, what's going on? It's not like, you know, when we were first starting, you might be like, okay, I'm going to try and do X by, you know, Tuesday night and Tuesday night comes around and it's not done. Wednesday night comes around, it's not done. It's not like there was ever a blame of like, okay, why isn't it done? Mm. It was like, okay, well, I don't know, he's got hockey practice or his kids have, you know, dance recital or whatever. Like mm -hmm. there's always something around where you understood what the other person was going through. 
and you just said like okay well if you're not doing it i'll do it like i don't care like it yeah. doesn't matter to yeah, me yeah. who does it and why it's not getting done it all works out at the end of the day right. and, the if, and the then day. if it doesn't then you've got a problem on your hands obviously yeah. but yeah yeah but if you're you know if you're just picking up the slack where people where, where people are, are sort of falling down and helping each other out and making it so that you're just really just focused at the end of the day you really just want the whole thing to be successful regard like however that has to happen mm -hmm. i think that's been important we've tried to really i think keep that culture from a company perspective too right where where we've got employees who who maybe don't uh do something for some reason or another we don't blame the employee for not doing it because they were working on something else right. that that came up and we decided it was a higher priority yeah um and so i think that's been an important part of the culture we've tried to build too now, when you were working for other people, were either one of you uh, managers, like, or is this your first time managing? A, 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 I mean, you got twenty employees, correct? Yeah, we're just at twenty. We're yeah. just at going past. So, 20. I mean, that, that's by Ottawa standards. That's a nice size business. So, is this your first experience in, in in managing a team like that, or you both have brought that to the table before you started this? In my previous gig, just prior to going full time at Rewind, I did have a team of about fifteen developers okay. working under me. Um, and then prior to that at a crew, I also had, um, the R and D team reporting to me as well. It wasn't okay. quite as big. So I did have some experience coming into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done some, I had some management experience at Adobe Good. as well, right? Some okay. people are reporting to me. So we've had some experience, but, um, every stage you're kind of growing, right? Like eight to 10, I found was a really easy size yeah. to manage. Um, 20 is, is starting to get yeah. more difficult. It's not, it's not impossible. We can still all fit in literally one room in the office, but mm -hmm. it's starting to get to the point where it's, um, it's becoming more challenging than yeah. it was when we were eight for sure. And is, and if you don't mind me asking, are you putting any restrictions on this? Do you want to, do you want to, from a, a size perspective or what the business goes, it goes wherever it goes. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely gotcha. no restrictions on okay. how high it can go. Okay. Um, you know, we've hit, we've hit a million dollars of revenue a year faster than Shopify did. Wow. Now. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Shopify didn't have Shopify to help yeah. distribute their product, right. which right. we've, you know, <laughs> we've ridden that roller coaster <laughs> yeah. really nicely or that yeah. rocket ship. So, you know, yeah. I think the business has grown a lot faster than, than we had anticipated it would. Mm. Um, so I don't think we're putting any limits on the high side. We're really trying to, at this point, the real focus has been trying to raise as little money as possible, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen a couple of businesses in Ottawa that have raised way too much money and tried yeah. to scale up way too quickly and way too early. Um, we've we've only raised a million, just recently raised a million, million one point three million dollars Canadian, mm. um, and we're we're well we're we're approaching you know two hundred thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue. Yeah. So we're. We're raising, trying to raise as little, little as money as possible mm -hmm. to show people like, look, you can bootstrap a business. This isn't just yeah. about, you know, how much money can you raise? How quickly can you raise it? Yeah. You have to do it in a way that is, that's proper and that's building a profitable business. Yeah. It's funny you say that. And, and I, I know I say this almost every week. I apologize to our regular listeners, but I find that Dragon's Den and Shark Tank sometimes do a disservice because it, to, to me, it, 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 it's all about just trying to raise money. And you know, uh, I don't think I don't think there's enough of those stories because it's not sexy to talk about the person that did it, bootstrapped it, and 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 made their own way. So I, you know, I, I find, especially with the younger entrepreneurs, they think that's the end goal here, right? Is to get venture capital money and then ride off into the sunset. And that's yeah. not. And and hey, listen, that that's going to apply to some businesses, but honestly, to to the very very small minority, I would think. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were profitable from like May to, to August. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, a, a profitable software company these days is almost like an oxymoron. Right. Right. And so that was really our goal, though, was to say, OK, let's bootstrap it as much as possible. And only after we showed that we could be profitable, did we say, OK, well, there's probably an opportunity to expand beyond these three platforms that we're backing up to go and hit, you know, MailChimp or Zendesk or WordPress or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we can we can raise money to see if we can actually expand revenue out to those other platforms and expand our platform out. And if that's true, then maybe we'll raise money, you know, after that to, to expand a lot further. But we didn't need to raise, you know, five to ten million dollars to tell to test whether that was a true hypothesis. We looked and we said, OK, well, like a hundred, like a million dollars would basically be enough to test whether we can we can prove whether it becomes a really, really big business or not. Yeah. Do you guys believe then in, in making sure your business is profitable first before you go out and try to get seed money and, and to better understand that? And, and listen, I, I, I don't want to generalize here, but I guess I am kind of generalizing. Is, is that part of your core philosophy? I do. <laughs> I do now. Yeah. But as the guy who hasn't had, you know, three kicks at the can already, um, it's all I've known. And it's, yeah, I think it's the only way to go. Yeah. I think the control that it affords the the founders, the the partners, the people at the beginning stages um, is amazing. Yeah. I think, so I think everybody's different. I think you should, I think there's a tremendous amount of work that people can do before they need to raise any money. Um, you know, the, the amount of work that you can do to get something off the ground now is night and day compared to what it was like, you know, even just five years mm -hmm. ago, right? Like mm -hmm. cloud services and stuff like that. The barrier to entry is a lot lower. We, we were very fortunate though, that a we're, we're well off from work that we've already done yeah. and B we had really secure, well-paying jobs. Right. And so not everybody's in that situation mm -hmm. where, you know, they've got a good idea and they can work at their day job and they're making enough in their day job to support their family. So yeah. I think it's hard to say, like, at a generalization level that that's what everybody okay. should strive for, because yeah. not everybody, I think, is as fortunate in financially as, as we are. Yeah. Um, but I do think I do think you need to watch out and not raise too much money before before you're sure of what you're doing and before it really is time. Like I'd, the one thing that frustrates me on Dragon's Den <laughs> is, and I agree with your philosophy that it's a terrible thing from an entrepreneurship, but the thing that frustrates me is how much those, how much the dragons take of the businesses. Yeah. It, it's, it's, to me, it's criminal, really, mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be, I think, a better way for somebody to fund a successful venture other than giving away, you know, 30, 40, 50% of their company. Yeah. To somebody like i don't know they're not asking for a lot of money in a lot of cases yeah. you know relatively speaking yeah. to own a really large percentage of the business yeah so has there been uh i'm looking at our clock already at the 30 minute mark but i want to wow. keep going if you guys are game yeah, absolutely. um it, has there been any any uh any books in your past from a business perspective anything you've read that kind of is uh, that you've used some of the principles in running the business or or uh, other means of learning that, that's something you've come across the most recent one that I um, I read through was um, written by the founders of Basecamp. Mm. Um, going back to this whole like funding and bootstrapping and whatnot, like that business was built off of the philosophy of they weren't going to raise any sort of outside capital. Um, so you know the principles that are described in, in in their books around how to build a business with that in mind. Um, you know that's something that kind of resonates with me because, as I said. Uh, 
I now preach from the school of, 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 of trying to bootstrap and, and keep as much of the business uh, under your control as possible. Yeah. It's interesting. The guys from Basecamp are known just as well known for their books now yeah. as they are for the actual product that they sell. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, they have some really good books. I forget that. WeWork, is that them? Yeah. WeWork yeah. is one. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be crazy at work. That's it's actually another one. one. Oh, okay. um, so we just purchased a bunch of copies to yeah, give yeah. out to employees. Yeah. How yeah. about yourself, especially back in um, your earlier days? Yeah, I think, you know, Blue Ocean Strategy was one that mm. I've really tried to apply to this, right, where we're trying to stay away from a really heavy competitive industry. Yeah. Um, especially in Ottawa, I find it's not as easy to raise money here. And so trying to do something truly game-changing here, I think, is really, really difficult compared to the States, right? I mean, I think you could argue that even Shopify isn't necessarily, I mean, it is now like very, very complex and stuff like that. But when Toby first started it, I don't mm. think it was really all that complex, mm. right? Like it was putting an online store yeah. um, and products and stuff like that. There wasn't all those integrations. It wasn't, you know, like he was trying to reinvent uh, electric cars or send right. people to Mars or anything right. like that, right? right. Or Alan at Clipfolio. I mean, it's yeah. dashboards. Like, it's not yeah, yeah. It's not rocket science, yeah. I find. And so I think a lot of the Ottawa companies mm. are kind of, like, need to sort of look at that. And that was one of the reasons yeah. why we sort of looked at backups and said, okay, it's not sexy, it's not that. But, I mean, I think it fits for, for yeah. this, you know, for, for what we can raise. Um, I really enjoyed Shoe Dog as well from yeah, Phil Yeah, wasn't Knight. that great? That was I, a really good book. I, I don't plowed know. through that on a summer vacation. I couldn't yeah. put it down. It was great. Yeah, it was a really, like, yeah. really interesting story of how he tried to maximize the opportunity, I think, that was in front of him and was constantly trying to take, you know, as much money as he could to just continue and grow the business, grow the business, grow the business. If you're just focused on growth, yeah, um, you know, you can do a lot of things. If you're growing at 100% year over year, mm-hmm. you know, you 10 years in a row, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty amazing accomplishment. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that one as well. Nice. So before we went live, uh, I asked you guys uh, if you were open to talk a bit about some of the work you do in the community. Would you like to share what you're doing uh, with our listeners? Yeah. Do you want to go? You go ahead. So we've done, Yeah, I, I think we look at, you know, giving back to the community as I think a really important part of the corporate philosophy and, and, and strategy that we're trying to build at Rewind. We've got a corporate goal of making Rewind a great place to work. Um, and so giving back to the community is certainly one way that we've done that. So we've got plans um, next year to contribute a lot more to mental health. Mm. Um, so we've had some, um, I don't know how to say it, but yeah. some... It's some, hit close to home. Yeah, yeah let's put it that enough. way. Fair enough. Um, and we've done another work with uh, the food bank as well, where we're giving back. Um, right. So it was $1,500, I think we made. So we've got nice. yeah, we've got some some yeah, initiatives yeah. that yeah. we've that we're going to be looking at, sort of enhancing over right. the next year. Isn't it great that mental health has actually come to the forefront? I'm, I'm old enough to remember when this all this stuff literally got buried. Yeah. No one talked about it. If you talked about it, you were ostracized. Uh, thank goodness it's it's coming out, and it's still not where it needs to be, mind you, but uh, good for you guys for, for getting behind that as well. Yeah, so that'll be yeah. our, our goal for next year is yeah. to try and raise more money and raise more awareness for that. Nice. So before we let you go, where can our listeners find out more about, uh, about Rewind and, and uh, all the things that you do? Well, the best place would be uh, visit the website, rewind.io. Um, for me personally, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, at the rewind.io. I'm Mike, Mike Potter at uh, Rewind, so, or it's Mike Potter at, on Twitter, so at Mike Potter, um, and at rewind.io um, to follow us on Twitter as well. Great. Appreciate your time, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Pat. Thank it was you. Fun. Thank you.